Hello everyone, it's good to be with you in video form. I wish I could be with you guys for real, uh, but I'm in Cincinnati uh, visiting my family for the week. I'll be back on Tuesday. Uh, but uh, I hope everyone had a very Merry Christmas. Um, I hope uh, you've been having a good holiday season in general. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm actually recording this sermon on Christmas Eve. Uh, for those who were here at the, the combined service last week, you'll recognize my Rudolph tie here uh, that has the light up nose. It's very cool. Uh, some special effects there. Um, <laughs> and I kind of like actually that I'm recording this in the LGM Sanctuary. I usually record these video sermons at home. Um, last time I, I recorded part of it at a park. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I kind of like that you're going to be watching this in the sanctuary on the screen with the screen behind me. It's going to be kind of meta. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I think that's cool. But uh, well, friends... Um, if you could just join me in a word of prayer um, as we get into this message. I have to say that um, this is about my 10th take of this sermon video because um, it, it's kind of weird uh, just preaching to um, my phone. And um, it's just a, a little bit different than preaching in front of a, a, a live congregation. Um, but I, I really do believe that God can use this format, that um, God can still speak to you. Um, if any of you were thinking, oh man, there's going to be a video sermon today, um, I, I just, I, I believe, and, and I would ask you to pray with me, that um, the Lord's message for you today will come across clearly, and that this won't be an impediment in any way. So um, would you pray with me, uh, for me, even though I recorded this before you prayed, but you know, God can work that out somehow, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, why, why don't we pray together, friends? Lord, I, I do believe you can use a variety of ways to speak to us, God, and that you desire for us, God, to hear your word. Lord, I pray that the word of God can be proclaimed clearly um, through this message. And God, in all the ways that we need to hear um, your words, your holy scripture, God, may it be a double-edged sword that cuts through sinew and marrow and cuts to the quick, to the heart of all of us, God, in all the ways that we need to hear your words. So God, bring us to life and may there be nothing that holds us back from receiving what you have to bring us by your Holy Spirit. Soften our hearts, open us up, God, to receive it again. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends. Well, today's message is called, What Defiles? And, you know, we're going to be talking today about what makes us clean and unclean. And in many ways, it's kind of the question of, um, you know, what really makes someone a Christian and not? Um, you know, apart from the whole accepting Jesus thing, and, um, you know, you, you make that decision to follow Jesus, and it is by God's grace. But still, once that all that has happened, you know, is, is there a mark of a Christian? Is there a way that we should be acting? Um, and, um, you know, this question of what defiles, it does make me think about what that word defiles means. You know, this idea of being unclean, 
You know, what, what is being unclean for you? <laughs> uh, I remember probably the most unclean I've ever felt was I went on a mission trip to Mexico. We're going on a mission trip to Mexico this summer, by the way. And I promise you, we will not make you do this. Uh, but I did not take a shower for two weeks. Two whole weeks while I was in Mexico. And we were doing like heavy labor. We're like digging ditches every day. We're walking uh, these roads for miles and it's dusty and it's hot and humid. And I'm sweating in all the areas of my body. Two weeks, no shower. And by the way, there were ways to wash. Um, it wasn't like really a conventional shower, but there, there was a hose and you could fill a bucket and everybody got one bucket a day. Um, I just thought to myself, you know what, if I'm going to do this missions experience, I was in the ninth grade, by the way. So I was 14 years old and young and stupid. And I thought, hey, I'm not going to take a shower for two weeks. And there were two other guys on this trip who agreed to do it with me. One was a, a senior in high school and the other one was uh, an eighth grader. And we all decided we weren't going to take a shower for two weeks. And these two guys lasted a week. And after a week, they're just like, we, we, we can't do it. We, we got to take a shower. Um, but I held out. I was strong. And after that two weeks, uh, I remember going to, um, we, we drove up to San Diego after the mission trip. And um, we, we were flying out of San Diego. But um, we, we were in a hotel and I took a shower for the first time in two weeks. And I had thought that I had this nice dark tan from my time in uh, uh, Mexico, but it turned out that after I took my shower, that was all dirt. I was actually quite pale. <laughs> I was just caked in dirt. And oh my gosh, it was nasty. I felt nasty. I probably smelled nasty. Oh man, I, I don't know. Maybe for you, the feeling of being defiled is not taking a shower for a couple of days. You know, maybe it's something you've done. You know, there are certain things that, that you do or you watch and it just makes you feel nasty. You just feel gross. You know, you, you see something on TV, you see something on the internet and you're like, oh man, that's so gross. You know, maybe it's certain words that make you feel defiled. Um, I heard one of the, the most disturbing words for people is the word moist. Um, I, I don't know what it is with the word moist, but I, I had a, I, I knew this girl in youth group that hated the word moist. And all the guys in this youth group decided that they were going to text her the word moist at the same time. And so they started texting moist. And so just on her phone, phone it was just moist, 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 right? Like 25 times. Um, but it turns out that they sent it to the wrong girl. And so this girl is like, guys, guys, there's something wrong with my phone. Uh, I, I think I got hacked, you know? It's just moist, 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 moist. Um, Friends, what makes you feel gross? What makes you feel nasty? Uh, for the people of Israel, it was something very clear that made them feel nasty. Uh, it was breaking of laws. You know, they had all these laws that they were supposed to follow. And um, these laws, for a lot of them, made them feel like they were in the in-group. You know, if they obeyed these laws, then they were righteous before God. But if they didn't, then they were cursed. They were not the people of God. And so it was very important for them to stay within bounds. Friends, you know, maybe for some of us today, uh, we don't quite understand the level of fanaticism that uh, the Pharisees had or some of these people in biblical times had about the law because we don't have the same hangups with Jewish law. 
right? Uh, most of us were, were not Jewish from background. Um, but I do think that sometimes we in church, we have hang-ups. You know, we have moral hang-ups. We have things that we think make people unclean. You know, sometimes in some churches, it's the way people dress. You know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, saying certain cuss words or something like that. You know, um, maybe it's the certain music that you listen to. You know, oh, that music is of the devil. You know, uh, that used to be a big thing when I grew up. They, they would talk about rock and roll being of the devil and things like that. And like they had all these silly things where they're like, if you play this record backwards, you know, it'll, it'll say like, you know, long live Satan or something. You know, it's just, I don't know, it was bizarre stuff. But I think for a lot of people, there are these certain markers of what makes them a, a, a Christian, a good person or not. You know, for some people, it's drinking. You know, that's a big one for, for those of you, um, you know, in undergrad. You know, when you're uh, below the legal age of drinking, that's a big one. That's a big marker for whether you're a Christian or not. For a lot of men, it's whether or not you, you view pornography or not, things like that. Um, you know, uh, like matters of sexuality are really big uh, for a lot of people, um, a lot of Christians. And just all through the years, there's always been sort of like these benchmarks. What makes you a good Christian? or not a good Christian. It's the people you hang out with, the clothes you wear, the way you talk, your habits, the way you spend your free time, the way you spend your money. You know, in some churches, they get really judgy about what kinds of cars people own even, you know? And so I, I think in some ways then, we aren't that different than the Pharisees. You know, if you've ever been in a church and you felt judged uh, for, you know, things that, that you do in your life, um, things that you consume or don't consume or certain traditions that you keep or don't keep, you know. Um, so, yeah, let's take a look at, um, uh, this is Mark chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Um, for a lot of us, by the way, I mean, that literally would be, you know, the question, the, the, that, that would be being unclean, is that you didn't wash your hands. You know, so probably many of us are like, hey, I'm kind of with the Pharisees on this one. The disciples should wash their hands before they eat. But it, it tells us in this, uh, in this uh, parentheses, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly holding to the tradition of the elders. There's a ritual way to wash your hands. Um, and uh, it says, uh, and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And again, maybe some of this stuff, we're, we're just, you know, we're, we're not really sure what to make of this. But, you know, oh, hold on one second, friends. I just want to put some Purell on my hands at this point in the message. Uh, it's good to have nice, clean hands, you know. Uh, by the way, uh, Pastor Steve has really dry hands. I don't know if you can see how dr dried and uh, nasty they can get, but this feels awesome, by the way, on my cracked <laughs> hands. Oh, woo! That feels good. <laughs> You know, sometimes, actually, when you do something to clean yourself, you kind of want to feel that burn. You know, um, I, I find that every single kind of lotion has alcohol in it. 
Um, and that may have some kind of cleansing property to it, you know, burns the germs off or whatever. But when I get lotion, man, and I put it on my cracked, dry skin, I do not want alcohol in there. It burns. You know, um, Sydney, our, our youngest daughter, uh, every night we put lotion on her, like on her back, like it gets really dry during the winter. We put it on her back and she just screams bloody murder. Just, ah, it burns, it burns, the lotion burns. And every night I'm like, Jergens, curse you. Why would you put alcohol in your lotion? It's not cool. But everyone does it. Why? Why is there a little burn to it? A little tingle? You know, to be honest, I think a lot of us don't feel like we're getting clean if it doesn't burn a little. They actually found this, that with toothpaste, um, that toothpaste didn't catch on at first. Like kind of, uh, uh, you know, like, like mid to late 19th century, uh, that people didn't use toothpaste. It was around for a long time. Um, until uh, Pepsodent, they added this little irritant to the toothpaste, and it would make your gums tingle. And it wasn't until that was added that people actually started brushing their teeth like habitually, like every day. And now every single um, you know major toothpaste company includes that little irritant, you know that that causes that little tingling sensation when when you brush your teeth. And, you know, it's funny because it does nothing. It does nothing to actually clean your teeth. But it feels like it's getting clean when it tingles and burns a little, right? That's, that's, some of you, you use Listerine. And I got to tell you that um, I both love and hate Listerine because it's like fire, right? But I got to tell you, if I have mouthwash and it doesn't burn, I feel like it's not getting clean, you know? Maybe for a lot of the Jewish people, they're like, man, some of these traditions we do, they're tedious and, and it's, it's actually kind of painful to do. But if it's not painful, then you're not getting clean. No pain, no gain, right? You got to feel the burn in a way. And so I wonder for some of us in our religious tradition, we kind of actually are a little sadomasochistic about it. We feel like it's got to hurt a little. Is that you? I don't know. But I think that was maybe a little bit the Pharisees and the scribes. And so then they ask Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And, you know, there's this idea that for Jesus, he says, your hearts are far. You focus on this practice, but it's really just the traditions of men. You know, because, I mean, if you think about it, what is different between the tradition of men and the commandments of God? Um, why is it that the two seem to be opposed? Jesus seems to be getting at Literally, the heart of the matter. What is the heart of the commandments and the things that God wants us to do? Do we just do it because we've always done it that way? Do we do it because other people do it that way? Do we do it because it's tradition? Or do we do it because that is really what God desires for us? That is what is best for us. That is God's will for us. 
Because he desires good, he desires life. Does it bring life? You know, so Jesus actually talks about how we can leave the commandments of God to hold on to the tradition of men. He says that you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. So I want you to, I want you to see what he sees as a commandment of God. He says, for Moses said, honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. So let's be, be clear about what they're saying. They're saying that if they get something that is meant to be sacrificed to God, then they don't owe anything to their parents, right? So basically, you are using this excuse, hey, whatever you've given to me, I've actually given that to the Lord. I've sacrificed it to God. So I owe you nothing, mom and dad. I don't need to give back to you, you know? And so um, what Jesus is saying that this is contradicting is the command to honor your father and your mother. Now, the one thing that he's talking about, this Corbin law, is pretty specific. But what he's talking about in terms of honoring your father and your mother is quite general, right? Even vague. What does it mean to honor your father and your mother? Can, how can you tell whether or not you're doing that? Is this clear that the person is breaking that law? Can you look at someone and say, hey, you're not giving something back to your parents because you gave it to the Lord. Therefore, you are breaking this law. So what is Jesus really getting at? I believe that honoring your father and your mother is really a command of the heart. What is in your heart? What, what, what kind of heart are you having towards your parents when you deny them something and you say, oh, see, I'm giving that to God, so I'm not giving it to you. God is able to look at the heart and say, I know you are using this command as an excuse, right? You're using this as an excuse for something else. And God knows all things. You cannot make a fool of God. Friends, I think we do this all the time. And I don't think God is always measuring just by the letter of the law, but what is in your heart. How many times throughout the years have people used the law of God, even Christians, to persecute certain people? You know, People look at homosexuals and they say, hey, I can discriminate against them because they are breaking the law, right? They're lawbreakers. Therefore, you know what? I'm hating the sin, right? I, I, I just know that that's something disgusting to God. But friends, isn't it a very similar principle here when it says honor your father and your mother, very broad, to saying Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And you take this thing about God, that, that's supposed to be a command of God and you take it and you twist it as an excuse to do what you desire. And that may be to hate people who are different than you. Hate people who you do not agree with. And that, I think, is something that we are invalidating the larger law 
the law of the heart. What are your true intentions? Who are you truly on the inside? Because you can take certain things and say they are about God, but if they are not of love, then they are not of God, right? Because God so loved the entire world in all of our sin, in all of our destitution, and he gave his one and only son for us. And so God is more concerned about what is in your heart than these observance of laws that we can twist and construe. But you cannot construe what is in your heart. You cannot change that or mask that from God because God knows all things. He is able to cut through and to see through the bone, through the marrow, to the very heart of who you are. And many such things you do. Verse 14, and he called the people to him and said to them, hear me all of you and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And what he and, and when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. They were very confused by this because this seemed to fly in the face of all of this uh, Old Testament law that they had learned to be very careful about what you consume, to say, hey, that animal's unclean. You know, these things are unclean. You cannot do this. And Jesus is saying, nothing on the outside can make you unclean. It's what's on the inside that is making you unclean, that is defiling you. And friends, this also, I think, flies in the face of a lot of the things that we're taught. You know, when we think about issues of purity, you know, we think so much about what we are consuming in our bodies, you know, be it some substance or, you know, what you are consuming with your eyes. Friends, don't get me wrong. I don't think this is meant to excuse the things you do. And I think this is going to become very clear. It is about what you do. It is not the thing in and of itself. In other words, you cannot just judge a thing based on that thing, right? Um, i just give you an example. You know, you can take wine and you can drink it for communion, right? And you can take wine and you can drink it as a drug, as a way to let your aggressions out, as a way to give yourself an excuse to be able to indulge in sinful behavior and say, ah, the wine made me do it. Jesus, I think, is saying in a way, nonsense. The wine didn't make you do anything. It was what was already within you. Don't blame the wine, right? Your actions. And by the way, you drinking the wine in that way was an action, right? But the wine in and of itself can be used something as a worship of God and as something to justify your sin. It's not the thing on the outside that is defiling you but what was already existing in your heart, that desire for sin, right? And so the disciples, they're, they're, they're confused and they, they, you know, ask him about this. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean, Right? So, you know, for, for a lot of people in the society, they couldn't eat bacon. You know, they couldn't eat seafood. They couldn't eat cheeseburgers. And, well, I'm not sure they had cheeseburgers in ancient Palestine, but I think you get my meaning. Um, 
that there were certain things that, well, it says that you can't uh, eat an animal that's co cooked in its mother's milk. That's where we get the cheeseburger thing from. But, um, you know, they were so focused on that external thing. And friends, I, I have to be honest that in some ways that's easier. It's easier to focus on the external thing. You can be super legalistic about that and feel righteous about it. You know, and be like, oh, see, it's very clear. Either you ate the cheeseburger or you didn't. You ate seafood or you didn't. You drank or you didn't. You did this or you didn't. And the way that God judges is actually a lot more complex. It is about the heart, right? I'm not saying that there isn't clear sin, but I'm saying that you can't just from the outside judge someone just based on what they do. Right? In many, many cases, you can't just say, hey, it's black and white. You weren't supposed to eat the bacon. You know, Jesus says, hey, it's not what's going into your stomach that's making you unclean. It's what enters your heart, right? What you are allowing to enter your heart. What's in your heart. That's the stuff that I want to cleanse. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Oftentimes, I find that the evil is already there. You know, there's this, this, this idea that human beings are a blank slate. And as long as we keep them from bad influences, they're going to be okay. Um, but the, we have so much selfishness. We have so much, um, you know, the, the tendency, the, the ability to hate and to kill and to harm other people within us. Yes, it gets fed by our environment. But friends, make no mistake, those things already exist from within. And oftentimes we use the external things as an excuse, as a way of fueling that, as a way of indulging in that, right? So I don't think that this passage is meant to say, hey, you know what, watch all the pornography you want, by no means, right? But out of that desire to look at a human being as a sexual object for our own pleasure, we made do certain actions that cause us even more to fall from where we are meant to be as a, 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 as a image bearer of God. An image bearer of God was not meant to look at another uh, person made in the image of God and say, you know what, I will just reduce you to something to fulfill my sexual urges. We were not meant to do that, friends. But out of this idea that from within come these things that divide, defile us shows me the power of habit. The more you act upon these things, the more they feed back. It's a feedback loop to turn you into who you are going to be. There's this old saying, uh, Stephen Covey quotes this in his book, uh, famous book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It gets attributed to Ralph Waldo Emerson and lots of people. And so um, 
I come to find that this probably is a very old saying that people just have quoted uh, through the years, and we're not really sure where it comes from. Um, but it's this idea that if you sow a thought, take a thought and you put it into the ground, right? And you keep sowing thoughts. If you sow a thought, you will reap an action, right? You think about something and then eventually you will act. If you sow an action, you will reap a habit, right? So you keep doing that action over and over and then it will just become something you do automatically. You sow a habit and you will reap character. So the more that you do something, it starts to become a part of you. Um, if you sow character, you will get destiny. All that is to say, friends, that out of our thoughts, out of who we are, we can eventually become someone, for better and worse. This can be a wonderful way, right? You know, you think to someone, you, you think about someone and say, man, you know, I, I should love that person. I should give something of myself to that person. And so maybe you act generously towards someone. You, you give them some of your food. You give them some of your time. You give them some of your money. And, and you did it once, and then you see another person, you're like, you know what? That actually was kind of cool. Let me do it again. And you do it again, and again, and again, and again. And that just becomes your habit. Right? You just start doing it automatically. Whenever you see someone in need, it just becomes your automatic response to give generously of yourself. And then after a while, your character is formed by that. You know, people come to see you as a very generous and loving person. And out of becoming a generous and loving person, you know, there, there comes more habits and, and more opportunities to do that. And that will actually bring you into a place that it becomes your destiny. The opposite can be true, friends. The opposite can be that you are somebody who thinks about the wrongs that other people have paid you. You know, you feel like you have been uh, wronged and that other people aren't paying attention to you the way that they should. Oh, it's not right. It's not right how I'm being treated. This is not just. And so you stew on it. You think about it. And when someone does something to you, you react. You react out of anger. You slam down that car horn. You punch them in the face. You say a mean thing. And you do it once, and it's just, it was automatic. And, and, and you keep stewing on what people say. So you do it again and again and again. It becomes a habit, right? And before you know it, you have become this angry person, you know? These are issues of discipleship. That's why, uh, for me, you know, I, it sounds kind of funny, but when I heard about all this stuff with Harvey Weinstein and all the, the you know, sexual misconduct that's been going on amongst very famous people. And by the way, this is not a recent thing. We're just finding out about it. This goes back decades. And we're, we're just, people are so alarmed at how much of this stuff is going on. And, and I remember saying when I, when, when I heard about this stuff, I said, this is a discipleship problem. Whether or not they're a Christian, it's a discipleship problem. And the reason why is because it didn't start with someone just, hey, you know what, I'm going to sexually abuse someone. It came from those things from within, which, by the way, we all have, where you can look at someone and say, hmm, that person is just going to exist for my sexual satisfaction. You think about that, and then you start watching certain images 
and you start thinking about what you would do if you were in that situation. And when you have that situation, you know, you react and it starts becoming a habit. And before you know it, it starts becoming a part of your character. Before you know it, you have destiny in a very negative way. Friends, I know we're at the new year and it's very fitting for us to start talking about habits. You know, I, I, I did want to say um, that, you know, there, there are a few lessons that come out of the scripture. One is for us to be not so quick to judge other people based on what we can just see from the outside. Because like we said, those things in and of itself aren't necessarily telling the full story of who that person is. It doesn't mean that if you have the place to speak into someone's life, maybe ask a question, hey, what is that about? If you have a good friend that's just slamming down drinks and you're not really sure what that's about, maybe ask them about that in love. If that's somebody that you love, but if it's somebody that you don't know what's going on in their life, you know, I mean, for, for I think we have to ask that question. Well, what is my heart in even asking that question? Is it out of a sense of self-righteousness? Like, I like feeling good about myself because, you know what? I don't do that. I have other sins. One of them might be being judgmental, right? I have other sins that I struggle with. But you know what? It makes me feel better to look at someone who struggles with a sin that is not mine, right? So many Christians, we get in trouble with this. Look at the major sins that um, modern evangelical Christians focus on, and you will see sins that they do not struggle with, right? That it's other people's sins, you know? You, you see, like, a, a, a straight male getting really angry at a homosexual or really getting angry at a woman for having an abortion, you know, and as a male, that's not something that they're going to have to struggle with, right? As a straight male, you know, and so often, you know, Jesus is saying, don't focus on the externals of other people. Focus on what is in your own heart. This is where all discipleship begins, not with us calling out the sins of others, but with us really focusing on cleaning house from within. Because brothers and sisters, we have a destiny. It is the kingdom of God. It is a place that God is coming to make this world right, righteous. Make this world the way that he desires it to be. A place of justice and love and hope and life. But it begins in the heart of each individual. In this new year, I want us to focus on our own hearts, what is within it. Maybe in this list of the things that are coming out from people, you see something of yourself in there. By the way, friends, we, we think about so many of those things and we focus on the more salacious sins, you know, murder, adultery, theft, but I also see things in there like deceit, the ways that we self-deceive ourselves, coveting, uh, the ways that I'm jealous of other people, envy, pride, foolishness. And brothers and sisters, it's not, Jesus did not come to just condemn people for this. 
Because he called to himself people who had lots of issues and problems. And Jesus, his desire was to come and rule and reign in their hearts so that they could become a part of his enterprise, which was a healing enterprise, to go around and to put this world into rights. He took imperfect disciples and he wanted them to let God reign in each and every part of themselves. You know, friends, think about Peter. (laughs) Peter, who denied Jesus three times. And do you remember, friends, how Jesus restores him? Do you remember? It was through a repeated question, right? Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? said, yes, Lord. And he asked him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord. A third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord. And what did Jesus tell him to do each and every time? He said, then feed my sheep. Then feed my sheep. What is Jesus doing here? What I believe he's doing is he is giving Peter the chance to form habits, habits of love, a habit of affirming God and then using that affirmation of the love of God to then go out and act in that love, right? And by doing that again and again and again, Peter's Character is being formed. On you, Peter, I will build my church on someone just like you, a screw-up, a messed-up person who denies me, who makes mistakes, who is not perfect by any means. But each time you affirm your love for me, Each time you love another person, you will start to become more and more this person I am shaping you into being. You are becoming a part of my kingdom, a part of the solution. So what about you, friends? What is the action that you will sow? And maybe we can start with the thought. (laughs) So friends, could you pray with me? Praise team, could you come up? And I want us to think about where in this message do we see ourselves? Maybe in some ways we've been the Pharisees and we've been judging people in our own family of faith, in this church or in our extended family of faith. And we have been judging them on their actions without fully knowing their heart. And maybe that's something we need to repent for. Um, And for us, what is it within us that God is desiring to take and to tweak? Um, What action do we need to sow? Because to become a loving person, it starts with one loving act. To become a forgiving person, it it starts with that intention to forgive. It starts with the intention. And God can take that and shape it and form it. 
so friends, um, if there is something within you that has been not exactly the way God desires it to be, can we repent of that right now? Let's, let's pray. Lord, I, I just pray for my brothers and sisters. You know, there might be something that um, my brothers or sisters are struggling with, um, something that we know that has not been right within us. And God, we know that because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that we can be forgiven. And it is not because we deserve it. It is not because we cleaned up our lives. We didn't have to feel that sting and burn of our own actions that are cleansing us. But it is the sting and burn that Jesus himself bore on the cross. It doesn't seem right. It is not fair but it is a beautiful act of grace. So Lord, thank you for that. For any ways, God, that we are not behaving, thinking, we are not becoming the people that you desire us to be. Lord, I pray that whatever thought or action that you have put into our hearts, that we will begin sowing that today. In 2018, we will begin living for your kingdom in greater measure. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.